going to be talking about um, uh, gluttony, right? Gluttony. And um, I wanted to delay it and not do this particular series during the holiday season, okay? You can thank me later, right? Now, in two weeks, okay, we are having a guest special speaker. His name is Nick Stumbo. He's going to close out this series on the seven deadly sins. Nick is the, I, I know him, he's a good friend. He's the executive director of Pure Desire Ministries International. It's an international ministry. Some of you might have heard about it before. This particular ministry helps men and women uh, break out of the cycle of sexual, any kind of sexual addiction. All right. So he's going to come, and he's, this is in two weeks, and he's going to bring his team, and they're going to have a resource table out there as well. Um, and he's going to be t- ish- talking about the seventh deadly sin of lust. And he also has an amazing testimony. He used to be a pastor as well down in Kelso, Washington, before he took this role as executive director for Pure Desire Ministry. So I want to um, just bring that out there so to let you know that the content of the topic uh, may be a little bit more mature. All right, that's one thing, just so forewarned. Uh, if you have middle schoolers, you know, in here, I, I still, I think it's appropriate. Uh, second thing is that because it's such an important topic, like, invite a friend, okay? Invite a friend. I know it'd be kind of weird, like, hey, you have a guest speaker, you're talking about sexual addiction, I think this might be really good for you. That might be an awkward conversation, I know that. But this is such an important topic and such an important issue in, in our day and our time where it's just, um, not only is it just becoming more accessible, um, part of my fear is that it's just becoming even more normal uh, in, our, in our culture. And so that's why this is such an important um, topic that we'll be dealing with, and he'll be closing that series. So that is the last Sunday uh, of January, okay? But today we're going to talk about one that's maybe a little bit less, um, uh, a little bit less uncomfortable, it still hits home, gluttony, all right? Gluttony. Now, when you think about the sin of gluttony, we're typically thinking of something that you eat, okay? Like you're, the thing that you can only, you can't just eat just one, right? Uh, you know, for me, when I was thinking about what is that thing, that food that I can only, you know, I can't just eat just one. Uh, for me, it's like the Oreo cookie, really simple. Oreo cookie, who likes Oreo cookies, okay? All right, now I actually don't buy a lot of Oreo cookies, but I tend to, if I do buy them, it's usually for my kids, but what I do notice is that I usually end up eating the most, okay? So when it comes to Oreo cookies, um, so, so gluttony, like who's ever done this before? Let, let's say um, you have the Oreo cookie and there's three, there's three rows, right? They come in a package of three rows. Who would just admit, who would just say, you know, and, and you're, it's not gluttony, okay? But who would admit, I've, I've, you know, Roy, I've, I've eaten a whole row of one, I've done a whole line. I've done a line of Oreo cookies before. Who, who would say I've done a line of Oreo cookies before? Just go ahead and, and admit it. Okay, a couple people, all right? Yeah, I see the hands, okay. All right, good, good, good. All right. All right. Now, who would say, like, you know, I was really hungry. And, and it's okay because, okay, no sin here because we have college students here. And for, for college students, like Oreo cookies, that might be their dinner. All right. So who would say, man, Roy, I've done two lines of Oreo cookies before. I've done two lines. Raise your hands. Okay. Okay. A few hands. Okay. All right. Some of you pointing at other people. All right. So who would say, okay, like, I've done a whole package, like three lines. I did all three lines. I ate the whole thing. It took a day, you know, but, okay, a couple hands up there. Okay. You guys are sick, sick people, all right? That's just <laughs> disgusting. I can't believe you do that. No, but, uh, you know, when we think of gluttony, when we think of this idea of indulgence, that's kind of the thing of this overeating. But did you know that gluttony is more than that? And when the ancients talked about gluttony, it just, it's centered on food. Of course, that's kind of where it kind of starts because it's all what, what a lot of us relate to. But it's more than that. You can be a glutton for 
any of the other sins. You could be a glutton for pride. You could be a glutton for, we talked about greed last week. You could be a glutton for power. There's so many things that you could be gluttonous over. So let me give you, as I've done before in the other um, topics, I gave you like the, the, the definition of gluttony, but I gave it to you in three ways, like three different levels. The first level is not really a sin. So you can write this down. Gluttony is the overconsumption for eating, drinking, or any other thing. Gluttony is the overconsumption for eating, drinking, or any other thing. So at this particular definition, you might meet the definition of gluttony, but you may not have met the kind of requirement or you have, may not have fallen to that place that we call, like, you sinned. You sinned. And in this, though, there is some danger in here. Let me, let me just explain to you a little bit. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we, um, uh, we celebrated Ed and Andrea's wedding. Are Ed and, Ed and Andrea, you guys here? All right, yeah. They got married, what, two weeks ago, one week ago? Yeah. So the week, that week, amen, that week, they treated us, right, because we're, for, for those part of the wedding party, uh, helping out, we had the wedding rehearsal. And so that night, after uh, we had the wedding rehearsal, they treated us to Dozone in Issaquah. You guys ever been there before? Dozone? Good place, right? Awesome. That's my first time going there. They, they specialize in, you know, shalom bao, dumplings, things like that. And so I was at a table with, it was me, um, April, Alex, uh, you, and Christine. And so we were all happy, and, and we were sitting there at the table, and I was happy because April is such a foodie, and when it came to ordering, it's like, April, we'll just let, let April, you know, you know, do it. And so as we were ordering, we had this, there was this, this filter. We, we, we came up against a certain boundary. We were ordering too much food, okay? We, we just, in our minds, like, then we started, like, holding back, like, hey, guys, it's only five of us, and it, the, the, the consensus around the room was, you know, it's Ed and Andrea. We don't want to break the bank. You know, that would just be really, you know, we're Asian. And so we want to be kind of polite in that way, too. So we don't want to order too much. So we had this boundary that we weren't going to order too much. And I said, you know, I'm not too hungry. I'm not going to eat too much. Yeah, that didn't work out. Anyway, um, but so during the, and so as the food came, so we held back. We held back. Ed and Andrea, we held back. Okay, we tried to hold back. And, but then as the food came out and as we saw the portions, we got hungrier. Right? And the food was really good. It was beautiful. And as we were eating, and then all of a sudden, this, it just, the, the, the words came out, you know, just, uh, let's get more. You know? It, it just kind of came out, and there was this consensus that broke the other barrier. There was this, bar again, there's this barrier, like, we don't want to spend too much money we, of their money. You know, we want to be polite. We're not going to overeat. That's just, you know, we're not going to take advantage of that. But all of that just kind of blew out the door, and it's like, let's get more. And then we got the menu. We had menus, and just left and right, everything, just we're eating. Let's get two more of that and three more of that. And, then, and they were like, you know, is it going to be okay? Like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, they'll be okay. We deserve it. And so, you know, our list just got longer and longer and longer. And see, that's kind of the picture of, and we didn't sin. I'm not saying we sinned. We didn't sin maybe against God, maybe against Ed and Andrew. Maybe we sinned against them. But the, the, the idea is this, is that, that's how the gluttony works, is that you have all of this self-will of what is a good and proper boundary. But in one moment, in this one decision, it seems all of the boundaries and all the self-will that you have developed through many different years or however you said it was yes or no, what is right and what's polite, all of those things just get tossed. And it all becomes about satisfying the appetite. If you do it once, it's like a few times, you know, it's like, it's okay. We all, 
you know, overeat sometimes. But when it becomes the second definition, when it becomes persistent, and that's the only word you need to add to the second definition. It's gluttony is the persistent overconsumption of eating. So when it starts getting away from you, when it starts getting to a place where all of these particular boundaries that you've had before of self-will and self-control, when those boundaries get overridden so that you lack self-will and you lack self-control, that's when you're getting to the area of sin. And then the third thing where you really know this is why gluttony is so, so wrong and so sinful and so harmful for us is the third definition. Let's put that up. Gluttony is the overconsumption of some other thing, whether it's eating, drinking, work, clothes, whatever it is, whatever your poison is, all right? We all have that kryptonite. For me, it's that Oreo cookie, all right? You choose your own kryptonite. Gluttony is the overconsumption of some other thing that directly frustrates or robs your potential, your passion, your calling, and purpose. See, that's when it gets serious. That's why gluttony is a sin, because they're all, between all of these definitions, there's, there's something that's serious, whether it's pride, it's envy, it's sloth. There's something where it's disrupting the calling of your life. How could an Oreo cookie disrupt the calling of your life? Well, if you keep eating Oreo cookies like every day and there's an overconsumption, a persistent overconsumption where you just can't stop and you ruin your health and you can't even live into the future because physically you can't. You've just robbed your own future, God's future for you, just because of an Oreo cookie. Can it happen? Oh, yeah, it can happen. So what we're going to talk about, we're gonna, um, you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to look at a really familiar story, uh, at least for some of you it's really familiar. It's about twin brothers raised in a dysfunctional family. One is Esau, who's the older brother. He's rugged. He's probably really good looking, loved hunting all things outdoors. And then you have Jacob, who is the younger brother. He's the, the brother who was, he was the, you know, you have like a indoor boys and, and outdoor boys. So Esau was the outdoor boy. Jacob was the indoor boy. He liked to hang around the kitchen or hang around the house. And their conflict that they have that consumes the majority of their life, even beginning at birth, is around this issue of who gets the birthright in the family. And we'll explain what that means. But let's read the text first, beginning at verse 24. So this is Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 24. This is the story, and there's this conflict between these two twin brothers, okay, on who gets the birthright. So verse 24, when the time came for her, that's her mother, their mother, Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in the room, uh, in the womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means hairy. Which, I don't know about you, I'm really glad that parents don't name their kids based on what they look like at birth anymore, right? We've had a lot of kids, we would have a lot of kids named like Conehead or Pruneface or Jaundice. Um, so after, so I'm glad they don't do that anymore. After this, his brother came out, okay? So Esau comes out first. Esau's the older now, the older brother just by, you know, a few seconds or a minute. Esau comes out first, he's really hairy. Um, his, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel, okay? So as he's coming out, it says that Jacob's hand is somehow attached and grasping at Esau's, uh, Esau's foot. 
So he was named Jacob, which means like to grasp, to grasp. Um, it also means deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So you have Isaac and Rebekah, who are the parents of Jacob and Esau. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so the narrator here is just giving us some information, not making any judgment, but we can at least see that they're in this particular family already that there were some uh, form of favoritism uh, going on. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished, starving. He said to Jacob, his brother, so they're probably like teens at this time, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, replied first, sell me your birthright. Okay, so let's, let's pause right there. Because we've got to figure out, their whole relationship is surrounding this idea of, of, of their birthright. They've always had this tension in their relationship. Beginning at birth, uh, Jacob wants his brother's birthright. Now, so let me explain to you what this idea of birthright is. It's something that is ingrained in Middle Eastern culture. And the oldest son, because it's a patriarchal society, was given the birthright. Not because of anything he did or how great he was. It's just the fact that you're born first, you get the birthright. Whenever a family would look at another family, they would observe two things. The two prominent figures would be the father because it's a male-dominated uh, society. And then they would want to see or they'd want to know, do they have a son? Who's the son? What's he like? He's the heir. He's going to be the other second most important person in the family who will become the first most important per person in the family when the father blesses his son and gives him the birthright. The birthright includes three things. Number one is that there's a financial aspect to it. Basically, when the father is, is in old age, he can't really run the business anymore, he can't take care of the farm, things like that, he begins to distribute his wealth, either near the end of his life or, even, or, or you know, after he's gone. The oldest son will get double what everyone else gets, right? Not by, again, anything that he did himself, just because the fact he's the oldest, he gets double of what everyone else gets. That's the financial side. The second side has to do with authority. When you are given the birthright, you then become the patriarch of the family. Whether you deserve it or not, you know, whether you earned it or not, it, it just doesn't matter. So whenever there's a conflict in the family, there's a big decision that needs to be made. And a lot of these families actually live together in a very close proximity, okay? Um, there wasn't a lot of debate. You might tell your older brother, here's the situation, here, here's what's going on. But then the whole family would surround and come and kneel at the older brother. And then the older brother would tell us, what to do, Waka, guka, right, big, big brother. The third part um, had to do with blessing. And the idea was that when your father, when he gives you the, the birthright, the blessing, that God's favor somehow in some way is just gonna rest on you in a different, more favored way than others. It was just kind of believed that, it was just kind of assumed that, and I guess just the fact that you were born first and that you were chosen to inherit the birthright was kind of a picture of that, that God somehow, some way is going to rest with you in, um, and, and bless you in a greater way than, you, than your other siblings. So the birthright are those things. It's financial security and stability. Man, you're going to get double what everyone else gets. You're set for life. You're going to have authority 
and influence in your family, and you have this authority and influence in your community as well. And you're going to have this special blessing from God. These are all things like, don't you want those things, right? You want financial. We're all working for financial security. We're all working for influence or authority. We all want God's blessing. And he's saying, these are all things that are already given and promised to you. They're in your future, but they're already given and promised to you. And so it was so valued. And so Jacob kind of seizes this opportunity. You know, his brother, it says he's really starved. He's really famished. Jacob, chapter, uh, verse 31, says, first, sell me your birthright. And I don't know if he thought his brother was going to take that seriously or not. Okay, maybe he just said, I'll just throw a Hail Mary out there and let's see what happens. And then his, this is how his brother responds. He says, look, I'm about to die because he felt he was famished. I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Now, it's crazy. Think about that, okay? And, but put yourself in that position for such a, just a second. Those are those times. These are one of these times where you're starving, right? And it feels like all of those boundaries that we had, that let's not order too much food, you know, the same thing we're having dinner, let's not order too much food, let's not look that bad. All of those things get thrown out the door because at this moment, he's saying, I'm starving, Right? And his brother says, sell me your birthright, and I'll give you some food. And he says, look, I'm about to die. He's exaggerating. What good is a birthright to me? So all of the, 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 the boundaries he had are being thrown out the door. And right here, right, right, right here is where we need to stop. And what we need to do, we need to take, like, an autopsy of what's going on. Because this one statement is what all of us need to take a hard look at inside of our own souls. Now, when you look at it at first glance, it just seems a little ridiculous, right? That, that Esau would trade his financial and future, his security, his authority, his blessing, that he would trade all of that for just a bowl of stew, right? It seems ridiculous that he would do that. Who would, who would trade their financial security for, for, for a bowl of stew? Let's say that someone gave you, like a lot of us have 401ks that we're investing in, right? And it's, it's, we know it's just over time. It takes like 20, you know, 30 years for us to get like fully invested so that we can have a nice retirement. What if somebody, you're 25 years old and someone gave you a fully vested 401k? I mean, it's there. It's basically saying, hey, you know what? You don't have to save for the future anymore. Here's a fully vested 401k. It's got a million dollars in there. You're going to be set for life. You're 20 years old, right? And they gave that to you. You don't even have to save for the future anymore. Would you give that up? For a bowl of stew, if you were really hungry and you went to Dozone and, you know, you didn't have any money at that point or something, and someone said, you know, hey, I'll pay for you if you give me, you know, I'll give you, I'll treat you to Shalom Bao if you give me your 401k, right? No one would do that, right? It seems a little ridiculous, right? Uh, think about, let's say, uh, you know, you have a, a great marriage, a great relationship, and you know that your wife, your spouse is so committed to you, and you're so committed to her, and that you have uh, made these particular vows, and that you've had so much experience that you just know that your relationship is so solid, is so, is so bounded, is so blessed by God. Who would do something to threaten that relationship? Who would do something, which spouse would do something in order to trade their marriage and security and the love and the commitment of that marriage for a bowl of stew? Who would do that? Would, would a person really do that? If you had an established career, and you were really well-respected in your field, what would you do? Would anyone trade that, threaten that for just a bowl of stew? 
Who would do that? Nobody does that, right? But it happens all the time. I, I see it happen all the time. I, I know married couples, they're not married anymore because one or both saw a bowl of stew that they thought was better or that they liked in that moment. They had an uncontrollable desire or a persistent uncontrollable desire for a bowl of stew when they, they ate it. I, I know kids who are growing up in a lot of pain because one or both parents had an uncontrollable desire for a bowl of stew. I know pastors who, man, I wish I was the pastor of their church. I wish I had their ministry. I wish I was doing what they were doing. They had this amazing ministry in career track, but they don't have it anymore. They lost it because they ate a particular bowl of stew. Do you know who would trade their future for a bowl of stew? You would. If it was the right bowl of stew. And I would trade it in. I would do that too. If it was the right bowl of stew. Because every single one of us here, we all have appetites. Right? Every single one of us here have appetites. And it's something that is going to be with us our whole lives. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And the tension in this verse is where we all struggle. Because we can look at our particular birthright. We can look at our future. We can look at things that we want, that we know that are good for us, right? And we can look at our birthright, and at some point, there's going to be sometimes some tension where something in the immediate future, in the immediate right now moment, looks better than our future. All of us struggle with this point that Esau struggles at, we look at our birthright and say, what good is it to me? And I'd be like, wait, 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 what are you talking about, Roy? Like, what are you talking about, your, your birthright? I don't have a birthright. We don't live in that culture anymore. We don't live in a culture that favors older sons. <laughs> I don't, my parents aren't that rich, right? I'm not expecting to get a lot. What, what are you talking about birthright? We don't live in that culture. We don't do that stuff anymore. I don't, I don't have a birthright coming to me. Now, and see what happens is when we begin to think that way, we begin to miss, we miss what Esau missed, right? And so I'm going to track it for you. Who is Esau's grandfather? Okay, who's the father of Esau? Isaac, right? Who's Isaac's father? Go ahead and name it out. Okay, good. You didn't say Jesus, all right? That's so good, all right? You didn't say Jesus, okay? All right, we've been like totally wrong. Um, Abraham, it's Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, right? So Esau, he knows, he knows that his birthright is a very particular kind of birthright. Not only is it the, you know, the money and the authority and, uh, you know, the blessing of God, but this, like, the blessing of God is this whole nother idea. Because we know that Abraham, that God chose, elected Abraham, that through Abraham's offspring, that they're going to be not only as numerous as the stars and the sand of the sea, but it was God chose to begin his redemption plan through Abraham. That the nations of the world were to be blessed 
through Abraham and his, and his descendants. See, there was supposed to be an Abraham and then an Isaac and then one of the kids. And then this one of the kids is kind of where things just started really branching out because one of these kids was going to have 12 children and those were going to have started out to be the 12 tribes of Israel. And then through their descendants, there's going to be one person who, you know, King David. And God would kind of reestablish and, and redefine the, the, the covenant and the promise that, David, through one of your offspring, there's going to be this one who's going to sit on the, throne, uh, uh, on the throne eternally. And then, of course, we go down the line and we get to Jesus, right? And that's what we talked about, uh, the birth of Jesus in, uh, during Christmas. And Jesus, of course, died for all of us, died for all the sins of the world, died so that we might live died to that, so that we might be cleansed and forgiven and free from our sins because of his blood. Jesus died and came to ignite the human heart and soul so that we li might live life to our fullest and greatest potential through the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ. And to give this message and to live life an example to a dying and desperate world. Now Esau may not understand all of that, all the implications of being the chosen one. But he understands there is something huge. There is something way, 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 way bigger than him that is going on in his life. He doesn't have all the details, but he's heard the story over and over and over again of how God met Abraham, of how Isaac, his father, was supposed to be the sacrificial lamb, but God sent one anyway. God is this God who's amazing, who has a wonderful and amazing plan for their future, for all their lives. Esau knew this promise, it is what defined their family. God wants to bless the world through him. See, you need to understand that all along in God's mind, it wasn't supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's what it was supposed to be. But Esau, in that moment where he just wants to eat and consume so much, he thinks and he understands, he knows that, that that boundary is there that I'm supposed to be. How can I sell my birthright? I'm supposed to be the one through whom God is going to continue to use to bless the nations and to bless the world. But in that moment, all bets are off and all boundaries have been broken down. And he says, God wants to bless the world and continue through me. If I don't get a meal right now, I'm not going to be alive to, to, to experience that. That's what he's thinking. And so he makes that decision. He sells his birthright. And because of that, nobody names their son Esau. Everybody names their son Jacob, right? Who means deceiver of all things. Who would have guessed? All because Esau, he wanted to satisfy his appetite more than his destiny. That was his sin. That was his temptation. And that's ours. Because see, look at this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Powerful. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. Okay, this is getting intense. Paul is bringing all this idea of birthright back into our present. He says, now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. Uh-oh, this is getting pretty serious. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. God, you hear what he's saying? Paul's saying that now that you're children of Christ, you become a Christian, 
You are now a descendant. You're like the spiritual descendant of Abraham. And so all that promise and all that birthright and all the blessings that come through Abraham, what God was going to do to bless the world through this one lineage, he says, you are now that. You have been given all the blessing, financial stability. You may not be rich, but you could be stable. He's saying all that authority and power and influence, not just because of yourself, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. And all that blessing, it's not something you have to wait for your father to die. This is something that Jesus Christ has already died for you. Amen? It, the blessing now is current. It is present. Your birthright is not something that you wait for. Your birthright is something that you inherit the moment that you receive Christ into your heart. Amen? Does that make sense? That's something you think we're supposed to live that out right now, that we are all inheritors. We all sing that song, well, not, a, not all of us, but Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, right? Right, you know that song, remember that, right? It's just a little kid's song, right? But there's so much theology actually behind that. And so the question, the question is, is that, are you throwing out your birthright for a bowl of stew? Are you throwing out your birthright for an Oreo cookie, a shalom bow, <laughs> for the pursuit of, you name it, your kryptonite? Just, I just want you to think about it for a second because I, I think this is one of those messages where it, it's so clear that just the Holy Spirit will just kind of bring to mind He's just going to, it's just going to surface. It's probably already there on the surface where he's saying, this is my kryptonite. This is what I'm gluttonous over. These are the things that I just keep going back to this particular thing over and over. I, I'm, I'm over pursuing. I'm over extending. I'm over spending. It's just, it's right there. What's your kryptonite? Just think about that for a moment. What's that thing that you keep going back to over and over again? It seems to break down all your boundaries. What is it? See, Esau, he tossed that spiritual birthright in the trash. He said, you know what? I don't need it. Because I think Esau, he looked like this. I think this is, and this is, I think, what a lot of Christians do. He says, you know what? I have all this blessing and all this birthright that's coming to me. But you know what? I can do pretty well with half that amount. I don't need to be the oldest son to get all the blessing. I could just take the role of, you know, one of the other kids. Yeah, I'll let uh, Jacob get the blessing. I don't need double the money. Just give me enough. And if I could just live into the spiritual and physical birthright just enough, I'll be comfortable and I can do my own stuff. So I don't need all of that spiritual blessing stuff. I don't need all that stuff, you know, to kind of, you know, weigh on my back. I don't need, I just, just give me, you know, enough money just to satisfy my needs and then I'll be okay. I'd rather just be able to bless myself whenever I want to in the moment rather than have to think about how I'm going to bless others in the future. What's my calling? What's my passion? What's my responsibility to God? You know, those things are just, let's leave it for the really spiritual people or, you know, I just don't need all of that. I think that's the picture and epitome of spiritual gluttony. When you just say, God, I know you're offering me the full meal. God, I know that you're offering me the table, a blessing, the feast. But all I need is just my little portion, just for myself. I don't need to worry about anything else. 
We are sons and daughters of Abraham. And when we overeat and when we overspend and when we overwork and we overneglect and we oversatisfy and we overpursue, we overextend in a way that frustrates and robs our own calling, our own purpose, God's own plan for us. Wow, what are we doing? It's like we're saying, God, I don't need the cross. Just I'm just gonna exchange that, you know, all the blessing and all the, the impact and influence supposed to have and the power of walking in the spirit. I'm just gonna, God, I just don't need that. I'm just gonna exchange all that just for I just wanna eat right now, or I just wanna be with this person right now. I just want to hang out with her. I'm just really pursuing this job and this particular career right now and all those other things, you know, can you just bless me in, in this moment? Jesus died so that we might be blessed and then the world blessed through us. And so when you give up your potential, your passion, your purpose and calling for a bowl of soup, whatever that might be, you're throwing away the cross and all of its blessings the blessings of, of righteousness, of having this deep connection with God, knowing that you are always right before him, that your confidence and your identity exude from identifying with Christ. You're giving up the blessing of spirit-filled power, life impact, that your life actually will make this world a better place, that your life and your heart can actually influence another person for good, I don't know about you, but that's like what is so important for me. I, I, I'm not here just to live life just for myself and to just to build my own kingdom, just to have my own family and car and 2.5 kids. I mean, that's just, that's just not enough. I, I hope that there's just a heart in, in every single one of us that we want to make a difference in this world. That our, our lives have more meaning that goes just beyond our own self-satisfaction and our own self-will and our own control of what we can create and make. But that I want to, my life to have meaning and purpose. And meaning and purpose is not and ever will be self-centered. It's always about the love that you can extend to others that make this world such a beautiful place to be. I hope that's the kind of life impact that you want to have. And also the blessing of leading others to Jesus. The blessing, the biggest blessing of intimacy with God. See, here's the thing is, how can we enter into all those blessings? How can we receive all those blessings? How can we bless others if you don't have, if you haven't been blessed yourself? How can you be generous to others in this world if you're in debt because you've indulged? How can you serve when you're others, when you're consumed with serving yourself? How can you think of others when you are overindulged with thinking about yourself? How can you feed and use your hands and feet and your arms and legs to work for others when you're in such poor health because you've fed yourself too much? So here's the thing. What I want you to understand from this text, here's the thing. How do we, how do we begin to experience freedom? All right, that's what it is. Because we're all thinking about that one thing that's kryptonite, <laughs> you know, in our hearts. Whether it's an Oreo cookie, whether it's the desire for more toys, or the desire to be envied, okay? Is I want you to train yourself to understand your choices no longer in terms of expressing your freedom, but I want you to think about the choices you make in terms of trade-offs. Because that's what's going on right here. What's going on here is, 
Jacob says, you know what? Trade me. Trade. Let's do a trade. You're going to get this bowl of soup that you want, right? And I'm going to trade, and you, you give me your birthright. Okay? So he's framing these things in terms of what you're losing and what you're getting. All right? Now, when we make choices about what we eat, when we make choices of what we spend, where we're going to put our time, when we make choices of, like, the job that we're going to have, we just think of it in terms of, like, I'm free. I get to eat this. I get to spend that. I get to use my time there. I get to put my own schedule together, and I am free to choose to do what I want to do. But when you begin to look at your choices in terms, not in terms of just I'm free to do whatever I want to do, you begin to look at your choices in terms of what am I giving up because of what I'm choosing to do? What Am I giving up because of what I'm choosing to do? Okay? We want to think of your choices in terms of trade-offs. Some trades are good ones. Some trades are bad ones. And you have to think about, am I going to make a decision right now that is potentially trading my future? Am I making a decision right now that is robbing myself? I'm robbing myself of my own future in light of the stew that I'm about to eat. Some trades are good. Some trades are bad. There's some trades where, like, say, I don't know, you might wake up an hour early instead of and spend time with Jesus and spend time in God's word, God's word, all that, and you're trading off some extra sleep. That's a good trade. There are times when, I don't know, maybe your child is, your daughter, your son and daughter is trying to express their heart to you, but you're still cleaning, you're still watching TV. That's not a good trade. Taking care of your body or taking care of your body or do you indulge in a little more dessert when you know that like right now at this particular time, physically you need to be there for your kids. Physically you need to be there for your work or your ministry. Like you need to be on point. Probably not a good trade. Some of you, it might, I don't know, it's like indulging yourself in video games. Maybe you decide I'm not going to play video games so I can volunteer at the local school. Just took one day. Just one day out of the week, just a Thursday. I play video games like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Just one day, I'm going to not play video games. I don't go volunteer at a local school. That's a really good trade. That's a really good trade. For some of you, like buying the base model, uh, you know, buying the base model of a car. Like there's a lot of luxury cars out there, but even the luxury car, you have like grade one, grade two, grade three, the EX, the LX, whatever model. And you say, you know what, I'm going to get the luxury car, but I'm going to buy the base model instead of like the, the high-end version, and I'm going to give the difference that I normally would have spent, I'm going to give that to a nonprofit. That's a good, good, good trade. That's a good trade. You got to think like that. Uh, you know, and when it comes to like cars too, and I'm just speaking as a guy too, you know, I'll just let you know, one of the reasons why guys like to have like really nice cars and like, you know, the trophy wife is because we have a, there's a gluttony in us. We just want to be envied. There's a part of us, our society, we just want others to envy us. It doesn't matter, you know, what's really going on in our lives on the inside. We just want to look good. We want others to look at us and just be able to envy us. There's a theologian named Megan Trainer. She's a pop theologian. She said, if I was you, I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. That, that's like how our culture works, right? Another trade, giving up weekends in front of the TV, Netflixing your whole weekend in order to spend time rather in fellowship, making friends with non-believers, that's a good trade. See, you have freedom, church. You have freedom. You have freedom either to live into your birthright or just to ignore it. Use your freedom to make the best trades. 
Use your freedom to make the best trades so that you can live the best life, so that you can live into the birthright that God has given you. And when those times for, for trades come and you're going to look at it, there's, you're going to be tempted to look at it in terms of freedom. Well, I'm just, you know, why can't I just do that? Why can't I just bless myself? Why can't I just, you know, just like Esau, he's going to exaggerate. He exaggerated. I'm about to die. I need to get this. I need to have this. What do you do? You go back. You got to go back and remind yourself to focus on the prize. What is the prize? The prize is your birthright now and your birthright future. Fulfilled potential. Fulfilled purpose. Fulfilled calling. Fulfilled life. I mean, real life in Christ. And so here's what I know about you. What's true of Esau is true of you. It's true of me. We don't have any idea. We can't see the future. We have no idea of the things that God wants to accomplish through our lives, through our lives, through our children's lives, through our grandchildren. You have no idea what God wants to accomplish through your work, through the ministry of your work, through the ministry here at church, through the ministry of your hands. You have no idea the ways that God wants you to bless wants to use you to bless you and your through your family your community the world maybe not the whole world maybe there's some in here people in here god will bless the whole world through you but for some of us and for every single one of us at least god will use to you to bless you in your world in your part of the world to do amazing things that's the promise of our birthright in jesus let's not give it up for a bowl of soup real joy real satisfaction that fills the emptiness of our souls is found when we have the guts and the willpower to say no to choices that rob us of our future. And we say yes to the things that claim our spiritual birthright. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, and thank you for your word and your example that you give us in your word. God, we love you so much. And in this hour that we've been together, I know that there's something probably on the surface for a lot of us who would say, yeah, that's, that's my kryptonite. That's what I indulge in kind of over and over and over again. And it used to be something that I didn't indulge in very much. Um, but somehow, not only has it become persistent, but it has seemed to overrun all the boundaries and all the self-will that I had before. And God, I, I feel like I'm a city who once had high walls, high defenses, but I now feel like a city that's just broken down and just every whim and every way and, and every appetite, it just seems like I can't control. And so, Father, I just want to confess those things to you. And you can just take some time and just confess to your Father, your good, good, good Father in heaven who loves you so much, who understands the temptations that we face, the appetites that we have, the things that have gotten out of control. Just take some time to confess those things and know that the God that we serve, the God that loves us, the God that died for us on the cross, he died to set us free. Remember that. His blood, his blood is the power that sets the captive free. 
And in this moment too, God, we ask that you begin rebuilding those walls, that you begin helping us from our self, selfish ways of thinking. We, we, we kind of bought into that we're just free and that we just have choice and we kind of do whatever we want and Jesus will forgive us anyway. We have this great credit card or, and that somehow some, you know, later in my life, I'll take care of it. But it's later in our life and not only is it not being taken care of, but our life is not going the direction that we expect it to. And God, that you would help us instead of seeing the blessing of choice as just a freedom that we can do whatever we want with. But help us, as in this text, to see that it's not just freedom, but we're actually trading off our futures. We're trading off our passion. We're trading off our true original intent. We're trading away our destiny for something so significant that entices us in the present moment. But we know, God, we know in the heart of our hearts and the deepest part of our souls that what really, truly satisfies is knowing you. Hearing from the God of the universe speak into our souls and direct us in our hearts and shape our hearts and to shape our lives and to do the work that you created us to do. God, that is what makes every appetite fall and submit to the one appetite that is King and Lord. And so help us, God, to, to be a people who are struggling and who fight and are reminded in every decision, especially the ones where the kryptonite comes up, that we are not going to trade our birthright for an Oreo cookie, for a Shaolin Bao, for whatever might, that little thing, whatever it might be. But God, we are going to live into the birthright and the freedom, true freedom, that you've given us. Father, empower your church today. Empower your people today. God, thank you, Father, for every act of confession, for every prayer, for every desperate prayer saying, God, help me. God, for every way that we come to this morning, Father, and I pray for healing upon every person here. here. And I pray that they would hear the words of your forgiveness and your love and your grace. And also, Father, your promise, God, of power. Of power. The power to say no to our appetite. And the power to say yes the destiny that you have for us. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen. Amen.